0: to the History 101 podcast. I'll be your substitute teacher, Mr. Woods, and today we'll be going in depth on the history of the city of Pompeii. So brush up on your Latin, let's head back to the Roman Empire, and let's find out about the city that was buried under ash. What's going on guys? Huge fucking audio spike right off the bat. Let's fucking get it. Welcome back to class. Please take your seats. As you can tell, your professor is out today, so Mr. Woods is subbing in, ready to thrust some knowledge your way. Fucking love that that verbiage, eh? I hope everyone enjoyed last week's app. Unfortunately, we only gained one Insta follower over at at Mr. Woods History on Insta despite our goal of 100, so let's keep pushing towards that triple digit glory, keep sharing the pod, like, subscribe, follow, I know I haven't been posting more than like two or three times a week, but what more do you want from me, people, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to market myself as best as I can, and, you know, let's just get me some more followers, let's try to get to 80 by the end of this week, I'm literally asking you guys, just tell someone you haven't heard, I'm so, I'm like... I'm kind of stressing about posting it on my personal Insta, but you know, I do have like a considerable amount of followers on my personal Insta. I just don't want to like expose myself like that, you know, outside of my close friend group and family, but I got to if I want to make this my career, right? So anyway, as we continue in this pandemic world, it's just important to stay, stay learned. We have to keep our minds as well as our bodies sharp. We got to be on the ball, people. We can't be letting go if the aliens come think of how satisfying it will be to share with them the rich history of our world as I've come to realize after living in France for a year we as humans are all basically the same yeah language religion race and culture may differ but we all have the same needs the same wants and the same goals so let's continue to bond together defeat this virus and forge on into the rest of 2020 slash our lives as cognizant intelligent hard-working human beings in the words of socrates i am a citizen not of athens or greece but of the world chills i should end the podsky right there but alas i won't we got history to discuss don't you know? Plus, I'm going to be speaking a little Italiana, a little bit of Latin in today's episode. So, And it's a banger, so I know you guys are going to be keefing it. Let's keep the continuation going. So, quick shout out really quickly to the lads back home, tossing me support all the way across the Atlantic. Much appreciated, and I will see you all very soon. So, before we jump into today's pod, we're talking the history of ancient, of the ancient Roman city of Pompeii. I just want to talk about the uh, inspiration of today's episode before we jump in, because I did kind of touch on it last week, but it's important for me to reiterate. So like I said in the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World episode, which dropped last Tuesday, please check it out if you haven't already. One of my first toe dips into history was when I was a young lad and reading and also listening to on tape Mary Pope Osborne's book series, The Magic Treehouse. So we're talking pre-iPhones, pre-podcasts, pre-audiobooks, pre-Kindles. I mean, geez, born in the Stone Age, huh? Eh? If you don't know about these books, The Magic Treehouse books, I highly recommend you head over to your local library and crush a couple because they really did teach me about history and definitely planted the seeds of my passion uh, just through easy-to-read stories and fun narratives uh, when I was a young lad. So that's my little story for you. But again, the reason why I bring this up is because I was leafing through some of the covers and stories and came across one called Vacation Under the Volcano about Pompeii. So I figured I would let some of my favorite topics... Um, as a youth kind of guide me towards, through my adult podcasting journey. And I think I'm going to take a lot of inspiration from some of my favorite Magic Treehouse books, because it's just a really good memory of mine, and definitely, um, you know, my, my first uh, seance into into the history world. So shout out to Mary Pope Osborne for inspiring me. Perhaps I'll send her a little DM on Insta thanking her, but no promises. She'll be Keefe in the the potty, because uh, I think the swearing history melange may be a little too much for her, but Mr. Woods History 101 podcast, without further ado, we're jumping into it. Let's get into today's episode, The History of Pompeii. Hopefully the audio's chilling. I'm keeping an eye on my levels. As per usual, talking about the we're talking about the audio. Plus, I'm holding the mic today, as I was last time, on my on my Joe Rogan shit, so uh, even though he doesn't hold the mic, but alas, I I, I feel like it helps because I can kind of move around and it's not uh it's not affecting things too much. But also did just crush like an entire tub of vanilla ice cream, which is so goaded. So uh, forgive any burps that may arise. So first of all, we have to set the scene here. Pompeii was of course an ancient city in the Roman Empire, um, and also the what predated the roman empire the roman republic um but on a modern map it's about 16 miles south of naples or napoli in italian so by the way the name Pompeii is either derived from the central italian language oscan uh the the oscan word for five which is Pompeii, which means um which could come from You know, the fact that there might have been five settlements originally there, but it also could come from the Roman surname Pompeia, which is the name, uh, you know, a couple a a famous ancient family who were plebeians um, actually had that name. Don't ask me what a plebeian is, because in today's world, it means like really basic and like freshman at the Naval Academy, but couldn't tell you couldn't tell you if that had more significance back in the day. So. Pompeii is in the region of Campania in Italy, which if we're going to use the boot image of Italy, this is right at the front ankle. So imagine if you had some lace-up boots on, this would be Naples, Pompeii would be right at the base of those laces, like the first ones at the bottom. So, you get me? Anyway. Anyway. Pompeii was a coastal city and was something of a port city as well due to the close proximity of the Sarno River mouth and Pompeii was relatively large too with best estimates putting the size and population at 170 acres and 11,000 citizens respectively at about the uh, 5th century BC. So the city center of Pompeii has roots back to 800 BC and As we know, the Greeks were hella powerful around that time, and they began to build and expand the city, and a lot of archaeological evidence suggests that Pompeii was already a very wealthy city by 600 BC. So a lot of bullshit happens over like the next 400 years, with Rome kind of expanding its power, Greece fading from its former glory, you know, a lot of shit that's kind of tough to explain, I don't really understand TBH, but... Pompeii maintained its strength and wealth as a uh, you know right on the port there it was also a very fruitful area with the sea winds carrying hydrating the soil inland so um you know there are a lot of vineyards olive groves kind of like a mediterranean climate action uh, you know your typical mediterranean climate plants were grown there lots of wine so at the beginning of the proper roman period around the first century bc um they pompey had a lot of important buildings and would uh, ultimately expand to its city limits so in 89 bc pompey rebelled against rome but was quickly put down and the result was a full romanization of the city making latin the official language and assimilating Pom- pompeians into the roman citizenship and influence sorry for the trip up there but pompeians so boom! After about eight hundred years of floundering about, Pompeii is officially a Roman city. Many public buildings were refurbished, and like I said before, the port um, the port there was just absolutely bumping. So goods and and uh, info are always jumping into Pompeii, popping their heads in. So the result of this are that, you know, built nice buildings get built to kind of accommodate some uh, more high profile guests who might come through. And, um, you know, culture and uh, social and economic power starts to come in and the city becomes something of a refined city. So let's get all that bullshit out of the way and uh, hop into the Mr. Woods time machine and the ADs because the BC shit is just is just mad confusing. We got to get into the modern era, common era, if you will. So we do have some written accounts from around 60 to 80 AD around Pompeii which survives today. So for this app I'll be using the accounts of Pliny the Elder and his nephew Pliny the Younger. I was going to say these are elite names, but those names fucking suck. So I'm glad they don't exist anymore. Not the people, the names. I mean, don't mean to be disrespectful, of course. Rest in peace, seeing as in the ADs these people, <laughs> these people are long gone. So also a quick side note, Latin is like the most fire language in the world. I wish I I fucking could speak it fluently because just imagine how elite it would be if you rolled up to a drink up with the lads and you're all conversating in Latin, like e pluribus unum, some shit like that. What does it even mean? It's on our money. I couldn't even tell you. So just probably so confusing and just immediate boss points. Shout out to the lads, by the way. Anyway, I digress. 't can't be, can't be getting too familiar with my students eh? so plenty of the younger would often write about how frequent earth tremors occurred around Pompeii which is where he lived with his mother and his nephew uh, or his uncle rather and they would always write about you know there were there were decent um, earthquakes but nothing out of the out of the ordinary um, they were they were not particularly alarming just because of their frequency. So on the 5th of February in the year 62, a severe earthquake did damage Pompeii, and best estimates put it at a 5 or 6 on the Richter scale, which, for reference, a 5 to a 6 level earthquake does damage to any poorly constructed buildings, i.e. literally anything not designed for an earthquake, I would imagine, so pretty much all the Roman architecture, and it's felt by everyone so where a five to six might not do a lot of damage in a city like maybe Tokyo or um somewhere in Australia or even San Francisco it would have it would be felt by everyone just because of uh the tremor is is that strong so for reference I believe a four is is just enough four to five is just enough to knock books off the shelves but the thing about the Richter scale is this is so boring but I thought this was interesting is that for each point you go up on the Richter scale the severity is logarithmic I think it's the correct math term so it it gets exponentially uh more intense so like a, the difference between a 5 and a, a 7 is like massive I think the the Haitian earthquake of maybe that was 2008 was like a seven or eight on the Richter scale, which is just devastating. And, you know, some South American earthquakes have been nines. So don't fact check me on that, but I believe my facts are like, you know, 98% true there. So again, five to six on the Richter scale. So this was obviously a setback for Pompeii, but the damage to various buildings was actually kind of a blessing or a silver lining was that. It did allow the Romans to restructure and redesign Pompeii because it was, you know, still a, an important city. So over the next 15 years, Pompeii would just continue to flourish, and its population grew to 20,000 people, which, you know, there are probably like 100k people in the world at that time, so 20,000 is like, we're, we're approaching New York City levels there in terms of modern references. So this shows that the city was well-equipped to handle a disaster. So despite the damage that was done, they were able to rebuild pretty quickly and shows that the advanced Roman attention to the cities of the uh, the empire was, you know, very, uh, very strong. So this brings us to the year 79 AD, which, spoiler alert, it's the doomsday year. On the 24th of August, around noon, Pliny the Younger writes that his mother notes a cloud beginning to form over Mount Vesuvius, a 4,000-foot mountain five miles from Pompeii. I say mountain because the people of Pompeii, as far as they knew, this was a mountain. It hadn't erupted in, in a long time, but spoiler alert, it's a fucking volcano. So, a few tremors had been felt in early August leading up to the 24th, but like I said, this was nothing out of the ordinary for the region, so it was largely ignored at 2 p.m on the 24th of august so two hours later ash and white pumice which is powdered volcanic rock and glass basically again don't trick me on that either not a geologist here this starts raining down on pompeii at a rate of about four to six inches per hour and you know you could think of this as like a heavy snowstorm because it was starting to accumulate on the ground By 5 p.m., larger volcanic rocks began to fall. And these were described as about the size of a fist. So pretty, pretty big size. And roofs began to collapse under the weight of the ash and pumice. Because, you know, three hours of accumulation at that point, we're talking 15 inches of ash. Which is, you know, over, it's a foot and and a third. Foot and a quarter. So... It's also around 5 p.m. when the sun is entirely is completely blocked out by the ever-growing cloud uh, coming from the volcano, making flight from the city. So escape very, very difficult. People had started to flock to the harbor by Pompeii, but, you know, the darkness was becoming oppressive. So by 1115 p.m., the same um, melange of rock, pumice and ash begins to hit neighboring cities such as Herculaneum, which is a city about 10 miles north of pompeii and i imagine this wasn't hit earlier due to the wind direction so pompeii is actually north or vesuvius is north of pompeii and herculaneum is further north from vesuvius so this means that it was a southerly uh wind that day page flip so now it's the 25th of august and So the next day, and shit is really fucked for these Roman heads. And the eruption of Vesuvius has not stopped. By midnight, the eruption uh, column and cloud, what have you, from Mount Vesuvius extends 21 miles into the air. For reference, that's one and a half times the length of the island of Manhattan. And the ash from the eruption would eventually reach as far as Egypt. So... From midnight to 7 a.m., surges start to hit the surrounding area of Vesuvius, and these surges are called pyroclastic surges, and six of them hit basically at the top of each hour. So one per hour, but uh, separated by an hour. So pumice, ash, toxic gas, and heat all get ejected at this time, and the temperature is believed to have reached 570 degrees Fahrenheit, with each surge. So this intense heat, coupled with the continued deluge of ash and toxic gas, killed thousands of people in a fraction of a second. Um, Volcanologist Giuseppe Mastro Lorenzo said that there wasn't even enough time to suffocate. That's how quickly these people died. So it is believed also that the thermic energy released from the Vesuvius eruption would ultimately be 100,000 times that of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki nuclear bombings in August 1945. So, never underestimate nature, people. The early morning of the 25th, basically everyone is in full flight, um, most either going inland or trying to uh, escape on the sea in boats. Well, the boat option proved super fatal because not only was the wind against them and it's just absolutely howling with the, you know, changes in uh heat and um just general volcanic shit, I guess, but so much ash and pumice had landed in the water that it had formed kind of like semi-islands and the boats could just not get through. So plenty the elder was one of the dudes trying to escape by sea, and he is killed in this attempt. So a huge shout out and rest in peace to Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Younger, however, his nephew, remember, has fled inland at this point, And this would ultimately lead to his survival, which gives us so many magnificent primary accounts of the eruption and uh, the surrounding events. So at 7 a.m., Pompeii is completely destroyed. 19, 18 to 19 hours after the cloud began to appear over Mount Vesuvius, and the Roman city is buried in ash. It's believed the the um, eruption lasted for about 18 hours. So, finally, just about over, uh, at least in terms of things that are still coming out of the volcano. The darkness that resulted from the volcanic cloud is described by Pliny the Younger as so oppressive that it was... Daylight now elsewhere in the world, but that the darkness was darker and thicker than any night. By the time the eruption stopped on the 25th of August, 79 AD, Pompeii was covered in tephra, which is basically just the word for volcanic material, I think. And this material measured up to 20 feet high in places. So everything still standing was frozen in time on the streets of Pompeii under a wall of ash the roman emperor at the time titus appointed some guys to aid in the relief and recovery and large amounts of money were allocated to aid the victims Um, but almost immediately robbers came to pompeii to dig through the ash and pinch some marble and other valuables so leave it to humans sometimes to just be absolute scum but hey you know this isn't a story about them so, over the next few centuries, Pompey's name and location were pretty much forgotten, and more, albeit smaller, eruptions came from Vesuvius further burying the city in in more ash. In 1592, an Italian architect was digging um, an aqueduct, and he discovered the ruins of Pompeii, or at least some of them, and various structures and foundations came to his attention, but Nothing really came of this because he did end up keeping it to himself. So, although I guess he noted it in his notebook. So, at this point, the area was being called La Cevita, which means the city. And due to the, it, it resembled a city to these people, so they but they didn't know what it was. So, they just called it La Cevita. Um, sounds Spanish, eh? But from 1689 to 1693, La Cevita was minorly excavated. And it was written that the ancient city of Pompeii lay beneath La Civita, but there was no real confirmation that this was the ancient city of Pompeii yet. In 1738, workmen digging foundations for a summer palace for King Charles of Naples, uh, they discovered Herculaneum. Remember the ancient city that was about ten miles north of Pompeii, and in 1748, excavations began to search for Pompeii king charles wanted to discover some antiquities because they would reinforce the cultural prestige of naples and thus give him some more political power so on the 20th of august 1763 almost 1700 years after the eruption of mount vesuvius an inscription was found that identified the city as Pompeii. in 1799 the french occupied naples shout out to france can't say it enough but from 1806 to 1815 the area was ruled over by the Tricolour lads the frenchies by the way and they made it a point to excavate um, pompeii and a ton of progress was made as they employed up to 700 men at a time to uncover all of pompeii previous excavation sites were then connected and many houses and theaters were uncovered And the true footprint of Pompeii could now be appreciated, as could some of its architecture. For the first time in over 1,750 years, Pompeii was was breathing in that fresh sunlight and air. So greater progress still was made by the Italians, a guy named Giuseppe Fiorelli, in 1863. And it was then, literally everyone in the story is either named Giuseppe Francesco or roberto i guess like get more stereotypical please so in 1863 Giuseppe discovered pockets of air in the volcanic ash that were left by decomposed bodies and he devised a method of injecting plaster into these voids to recreate the shape of the bodies of the victims of pompeii which is a technique still used today so believe it or not there was not really a. Uh, you know what? I'll get into that a little bit later. In the early 20th century, excavations were primarily focused on understanding life in Pompeii prior to the 79 AD uh, destruction. However, risk of earthquakes, decay, and general difficulties in preservation have led to Pompeii uh, excavations being mostly abandoned, with efforts today shifting to preserving the already um, excavated areas because I believe in, you know, only in the past five years have they been closely monitoring the situation to see if it's an endangered site. So like I said before, let's talk bodies. Everyone's favorite, for lack of a better word, part of the Pompeii story. So By 2003, 1,044 casts had been made from body impressions in ash. So again, these came from... So what happened basically was the intense heat or gas would kill people, um, you know, where they stood basically, whether in their houses or on the streets. And then the ash would come down and pocket the, you know, stuff the body, bury the body. And as they died and decomposed... Their body would disintegrate, but the gas left would leave a pocket of air in the, in the ash. And this is uh, where they would then make the casts. So the bodies that you see at Pompeii, basically a little myth bust here for you, are made of plaster. And these are just coming from the void left by their decomposed bodies gas. Not actually It's not actually the body itself. So again, by 2003, 1,044 casts had been made from body impressions and ash in and around Pompeii. And scattered bones of about 100 people were also found. So what these numbers tell us is that of the 20,000 people who lived in Pompeii at the time of the eruption, about 90 to 95 percent, depending on you know whether 1,000 or 2,000 people died, uh, 2,000 is the maximum I've seen, So about 90% of people were able to flee to safety from Pompeii. So despite the destruction of a flourishing city, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius was not particularly deadly. In Herculaneum, about 330 bodies have been found, mostly by the seashore, indicating that they were attempting to flee at the time of their deaths. And just for reference, about 5,000 people lived in Herculaneum at the time of its burial. Of course, excavations over the past three centuries have not uncovered everything, but it's unlikely that the death toll is remarkably higher than 1,500 to 2,000 people. The point of all this is that the so-called bodies of Pompeii are not actually bodies at all, like I said, but the casts of the voids left by decomposing bodies. And additionally, the, the bodies that appear to be in movement are most likely in that position due to postmortem reflexes and not any particular agony or struggle because they would have been killed in a fraction of a second by the intense heat or toxic gas. Sorry for the voice cracks there. As for Mount Vesuvius, since 79 AD, it has erupted around 36 times in varying magnitudes. In 1631, around 3,000 people were killed by lava flows, and this burned many villages nearby. An eruption in April 1906 killed around 100 people, and the planned 1908 Summer Olympics in Rome actually had to be moved to London. The last eruption of Mount Vesuvius as of August 10, 2020 occurred in March of 1944, and it destroyed three villages. This part of Italy was at the time occupied by the United States Army Air Force and the Pompeii airfield that they were using was destroyed. And this um, actually uh, took 78 to 88 American bomber planes out of service. So don't worry, the boys still won the war. In terms of the future, Mount Vesuvius is still very much active, so it is very closely monitored. The area around the volcano is actually densely populated, and plans for the evacuation of 600,000 people by train, ferry, bus, and car do exist within the Italian government. These evacuation plans rely on between 14 to 20 days' notice, and if notice comes down too late, thousands could still be killed. So the sheer danger and power of Vesuvius is omnipresent, and this is a stark reality of living near an active volcano. As Americans, we know the well. Uh, we know this well, having observed uh, numerous incidents and disasters in the U.S. state of Hawaii with the eruption of uh, Mauna Loa, I believe, uh, very recently. So, despite this danger, one can actually access the summit of Vesuvius, as it is an Italian national park. And you can drive within 700 feet of the summit, but from there you got to schlep it up. Uh, definitely a bucket list view. Just hope it's not erupting at the time. Just for reference, like I said before, in comparison to other volcanic eruptions, Vesuvius does not really rank that high on the list. The most deadly volcanic eruption in history came in 1815 with the eruption of Mount, Mount uh, Tambora in Indonesia. Seventy one thousand people were killed, with an estimated two hundred and fifty thousand dying later as a result of famine caused by climate abnor abnormalities in the region following the blast. Which is that's in- insane. Krakatoa, which you know you might know the name of, also in Indonesia blew in eighteen eighty three, killing thirty six thousand. But I believe the result of that was a massive tsunami. Also, there was a big tsunami that killed a lot of people. Mount St. Helens in Washington erupted on the 18th of May, 1980, killing 57 people. This is the deadliest and most economically destructive volcano uh, volcanic event in U.S. history. So, you know, my thoughts go out to those people, and uh, I have a friend, Lane, who lives in Washington. So, Lane, take care of yourself out there. Pompeii can be visited today, and I think our... uh, fascination with it comes from just the ability to explore the ruins and just the unexpected nature of the event but also because it occurred in the roman empire in 79 a.d the roman empire was more or less at its most powerful and uh, it culturally thrived and rome was really the center of the world for Pompeii to be utterly destroyed and uprooted in just a day's notice and then preserved for us to observe 2,000 years later. This just shows the fallibility of society, no matter the the richness or advancedness, um, and just the the sheer power of nature versus man. Roman ruins exist all over Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. I've even seen some in the south of France. But in these locations, we don't see the forms of bodies killed in the unique catastrophic days of, of uh, Pompeii and Rome. So Pompeii has also been dramatized in writing, painting, song, and film. Karl Brulov's The Last Days of Pompeii, painted in 1830, captures our imagination of life before the great darkness. So check that out uh, on, on Google Images. In 1834, Edward Leighton, who was a Brit thoughts go out to him for being British huh wrote he wrote a novel also titled the last days of Pompeii in which the decadence of the Roman Empire is wiped away by the apocalyptic Vesuvius and kind of a, a novel twist so this kind of captures our Pompeii doomsday uh, the, this I feel like doomsday is an omnipresent theme in in our world whether in movies and in, in religion and in, in song or what have you Um, And I think Pompeii kind of shows us the fragility of life and the possibility that the apocalypse could come in in many different forms. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode on the history of Pompeii. Shout out to the Magic Treehouse books and shout out to nature, the one proven God of our lives. We have to always respect the forces that can pulverize us in an instant, and the ever real reality of natural disaster persists, persists, and as Pompeii tells us, it can wipe a prosperous city off the map in a matter of hours. Despite this destruction and fear, ruins and events like Pompeii's destruction remind us that we will never be forgotten. While time will pass, memories will always remain. So, Sorry for the pause, but... So, to head us out, we got Pliny the Younger's immortal words. You could hear the wails of women, the cries of children, the shouts of men. Many raised their arms to the gods. Others declared that the gods were no longer, and that this was the last night on earth. Chills. Stay up, live for the day, and I'll see you next week. Peace.